even from the earliest years of parenting, though, there's sort of stress or concerns about, is my child rolling over in time? Oh my God, what happens if they're not walking or they're not talking? Like, what will this mean for their development? How will they be able to get to school? Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. Thanks so much for tuning in. That voice that you heard in the intro is Dr. Dana Dorfman. Dana is a mental health professional. She has 30 years of clinical practice treating children, adolescents, parents, and adults. She's also the author of a brand new book, When Worry Works. The title of this book immediately grabbed my attention. As Dana says, anxiety is an unavoidable part of parenting. As a parent of a teenager and a young adult, she knows this firsthand. And what Dana works to do is to show us how our unique parenting anxiety patterns can be turned into an advantage instead of a liability. If you want to get in touch with Dana or get the link to her book, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 341. I hope you enjoy this chat. Hi, Dana. How are you? Hi, fine. How are you? Good. I am glad to have you here on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I got a message a month or so ago from your publicist about your upcoming book called When Worry Works. And I didn't even need to read anything else. I just said this. I need we need to talk about this Uh (laughs) Um, because the title, to me, at least, it says so much because, you know, as someone with high functioning anxiety, I do find that anxiety can really help support me in some ways. Um, But it's this double edged sword. So tell us a little bit about yourself and about your book. Uh, sure. So I am thrilled to hear that that the title appealed to you because that was something that had been um, we revised many times over the years. But um, I am a psychotherapist in New York City, and I have been working with children and teenagers and parents and families uh for about 30 years, just about 30 years. And um, I'm also a mom. I have a 17-year-old and a 21-year-old. So, um, and then in the past, for the past eight years or so, in addition to my practice, I have been working on and doing research and really digging in deep to um, anxiety and the topic of anxiety and achievement anxiety specifically. So, um, which is, which is why I wrote the book. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about what you mean by parent achievement anxiety. So parent achievement anxiety is, um, any like parents worries about their kids' future success. So anything that is obviously achievement related, but even uh, performance related or any anxieties, concerns, worries, um, anticipatory fears that parents have um, about their, their kids' future success. And parents who have parent achievement anxiety, who are worried about their kids' future success, does that tend to correlate with other types of anxiety in the parents? Uh, I would say that it does, although anxiety is not always pathological. So part of anxiety's purpose, it is, it's part of our survival mechanism. It exists within us so that it protects us and um, signals to us when we need, when we detect or our brain detects or our system detects any kind of potential threat or danger, um, in our midst. 
and sort of sets off a whole series of physiological responses. And so because it is a protective mechanism and it is there to help us survive, there's something highly beneficial about anxiety. So we all have it at, at some point. And um, we, we all have it to survive. We all have it uh, throughout the day. And so a lot of times we perceive it as, or it has been considered to be something that is like, quote unquote, pathological, but it's not always a pathological function. So if anxiety's purpose is to help protect us and to help us prepare for the future, if you think about parents' primary purposes, it is to protect their young and to prepare them for the future. So being a parent is inherently anxiety producing. That's just part of the, the role. And so I think that all parents and most parents have some element of some concern about their kid's future, sort of how something is going to play out in the future mm-hmm. with, a, with their kids. I, I don't know of a parent who doesn't see their kid or experience their kid doing something, whether it's, oh my God, she's not sharing in the sandbox. I don't want her to grow up and be a selfish person kind of thing to, you know, oh no, he's not studying right now. What will, what will the future implications be when he gets to high school? So, um, you know, so there's always some element of achievement anxiety, I think for most parents, but I think that it is absolutely intensified in this generation of parents and in our current culture. Yeah. Yeah. You tell a story at the beginning of the book about worrying about your son not studying abroad when all of his friends were studying abroad. Mm-hmm. And you describe you describe that it consumed your thoughts. You were unable to sleep, feeling sad on his behalf, imagining fear and all that could happen, devising mm-hmm. ways to preempt his pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am smiling because when I read it, I will be totally honest, I minimized your struggle on this and thinking mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, like that really is not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think we do to other people when we hear about other people's Mm -hmm. anxieties. But then it also made me pause because it's like these situations that maybe in the grand scheme of things are not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. We can wind them up and make them into an enormous deal within our own brains. And it sounds like that's what was happening here for you. Uh, Yes. And just as a disclaimer too, I did say later on, like, I know this is not that big of a deal in (laughs) the scheme of things. I don't want you to think that I was that disproportionate in my beliefs. But But that can um, happen. Oh, totally. And I can spin myself up about something really minor. Um, And so you're, now I was so busy being defensive. I forgot what your question was. (laughs) I, I, you know, I think that I, I just, I could see myself in that. It was funny though, because I could, when I was reading this, like, wow, like that seems like a small thing to be that, um, have that much anxiety over. Mm -hmm. But then we think about all of the ways that that can happen to us and we don't even notice when it's happening. And then all of a sudden it's spiraling and getting out of control. Yes. And by the time that we realize it, we're in it, we are so we are so deep into the rabbit hole that we have ourselves convinced that this degree of worry or this degree of anxiety is actually warranted. Um, And I think that oftentimes it's funny. I was literally just talking to the mother of a toddler this morning who had called in a panic and just wanted like a brief check-in before her day began because of um, an issue that her two-year-old has been having. And I, and I, I was very conscious of not minimizing it, but also realizing like, oh my God, you're going to see by the time your kids are 21, (laughs) you're going to think like, I can't believe you're going to have forgotten that you ever even made this call. But when, when something is happening to you in the present, it, and we are fully consumed in it and we can, you know, it's like fish swimming in water. Like you don't even realize it. And by the time you realize that you have totally spiraled, you have also convinced yourself that the spiral is necessary. So Mm -hmm. um, the the other thing, just with that particular example uh, with my son, 
who, by the way, this was just so funny because I had just gotten a copy of the book for the first time and he happened to open it and read that chapter. And so he screenshot it and sent it to his friends in Spain. And we're just like, dude, you got cameo in my mom's book about anxiety. And so, um, which was just so funny. But um, in that situation too, that was also like when we think about sort of the, the context of how things or when things are happening also, everyone was so amped up at that point that everyone felt as if they were on sort of a razor's edge. We were just kind of, um, we were sort of emerging out of COVID, maybe kind of sort of a little bit, but, but the kids had missed essentially two years of school. He had never actually been in high school yet. And then there was all of this hype or pre-junior year hype about, oh my God, are you taking SATs? Or is your son taking SATs? All of this stuff. So there was also like all of this background noise that, that was fueling me, you know, um, mm-hmm. Once again, I'm not saying to justify my anxiety as much as I yeah. think that it's emblematic of how um, how contagious anxiety is and how much our culture and our world impacts it or perpetuates it. Mm. Yeah, that idea that anxiety is contagious is so important. I think that I've found uh, since becoming a mother that I have a hard time surrounding myself with other anxious people because I do take on so much of their anxiety because of my own tendencies. Uh And it's hard to balance that though. You know, like I have a lot of friends with anxiety, like a lot of, a lot of women have anxiety. A lot of Uh men have anxiety. Everybody has anxiety. So it's not like I'm going to say like, I can't be friends with you anymore, but I have to also check myself constantly. You know, like if like my kids are climbing up the slide on the playground and some other parent is like, no, you can't climb up the slide. You're going to get hurt. And I'm actually, okay with my kids climbing up the slide and like having to do that self-talk in my brain. Danae, you are okay with your kids climbing up the slide. You do you. And that that's not easy when you have somebody else kind of barking orders that um, run opposite to that thought. Definitely. I, th- I think that that is true. And especially even if you, I think about this a lot, the times that I've sat in um, meetings with a lot of parents, like even there have been like pre-college meetings that, that they've held at the school and you can feel the tension in the room. I mean, every parent is sitting at the edge of their seat or at, you know, very compulsively taking notes. And you, you feel as if, if you are not anxious, you feel like you're a weirdo kind of, and it's, it's impossible not to (laughs) catch it. It's like COVID, you know, and, and the yeah. other thing, the other phenomenon I think that happens is that that is also where our hyper judgment comes from. If if somebody is very anxious and we're trying to protect ourselves from it and we can't wear a mask the way they, we would with COVID, although maybe we should wear anxiety masks, the, 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 the tendency is to also get very judgy about the other parent. Like a lot of times too, when we're hyper judgmental of someone else, it's sort of to protect ourselves from having to feel that vulnerability or something like, oh, that mother is so overprotective or something. That's really just to to protect ourselves from our own anxiety, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's pause for a one minute word from a sponsor. Our first sponsor for today is Thrive Market. Thrive Market is my go-to for all my grocery and household essentials. I love the convenience of getting it all quickly shipped to my doorstep. As a Thrive Market member, I can save money on every single order. I love that it's easy to find some of the brands that I already commonly buy like Simple Mills, Cliff Bars, Annie's, Bob's Red Mill. It's especially easy to navigate if you have any dietary restrictions. I'm gluten-free, and it's really easy to search and find products that I can eat. So join Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash simplefamilies for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash simple families. Thrivemarket.com slash simple families. Try it out. I think you're going to love it. You talk in your book a little bit about this idea that we do things 
to prevent us from needing to worry, like childproofing, for example, right? It's like, Mm so not only does it keep our kids safe, but then it prevents us from worrying. Do you find, you know, at parenting older kids, adolescents, young adults now, that that pattern just continued, you know, past childproofing, the pattern to try to, I'm just going to do this better safe than sorry. Yes, definitely. And I, I have to stop myself every day. I mean, even um, as recently as yesterday or Saturday night, my son was um, going to a basketball game at Madison Square Garden. And he was, it was a Saturday night and he was leaving and it was, and I had to resist the urge not to say, do you have your ticket? Do you, you not going to wear gloves? It's super cold out. I mean, he's 17 years old and I, you, yeah. wait, you know which stop it is. I, I had to keep like reminding myself the temptation as he's leaving to even just put in a few extra uh, extra markers just to protect him was so powerful and it it takes more energy i think to to resist the urge than to actually it would have been easier in some way for me to just i mean it would have been easier for me it would have done more i think damage or been more complicated had i actually verbalized it and there are many times when i don't resist the urge but it just is so, um, yeah. yes, it absolutely does. And it just kind of morphs into whatever the developmentally appropriate or seemingly developmentally uh, appropriate kind of challenge is. Right. Can you talk, I mean, I know there's a lot of parents listening that are like, well, what's the problem with just telling him to wear his gloves, right? Can you talk a little bit about the negative repercussions of giving all those reminders, reminding to give the ticket, reminding to bring the gloves and the stop, reviewing where the stop is? Well, I think that there are many messages that get conveyed by virtue of doing that. While our intentions as parents is like, I want to be helpful to you and I am more experienced than you and I have done this many more times than you. So I know the drill and I can offer you like a a simplified short list of of those things that one does to prepare themselves before they go out. And on some level, there is also something, um, as much as we think we're being generous of spirit, and maybe we are, and, and loving our kids, we can't mistake that for we are trying to take care of us, that we don't want to feel the discomfort of the prospect of his experience or their experiencing discomfort. Um, and so there is something also that is, um, I don't want to say selfish, but this is also, um, parents have a very hard time. And I write about this a lot in my book. I, uh, maybe not as much, but I've written many other essays and things about this and think about it a lot, just how much this seeming overparenting that we do and this seeming what we are couching in, I just love him and want to protect him, is actually um, also protecting me from having to experience the anxiety, discomfort of the potential of his being uncomfortable. So there is a self, mm-hmm. self-protective component of that, which I think is just, I just don't want us to delude ourselves into thinking this is all other oriented. The other thing is, is that I think that the latent message of doing that is I'm still the parent. You're just a kid. You don't know what you're doing. I don't think that you know what you're doing. I don't think that you will have the capacity to be able to do it. And you're, you are almost depriving the kid of the opportunity to, I assure you, I have gone to the theater before and forgotten my ticket before, before it became um, QR code. Digital, or something. Yeah. yeah, digital. Thank you. That um, I have never forgotten a ticket since, you know, after that. And so while we want our kids to learn from our mistakes, human beings don't. And so by my telling my son, you know, I, which I didn't actually go through this particular exercise, but had I said to him, oh God, I got to the ballet and I had forgotten my ticket and then I had to call dad and he had to come and bring it and I missed the whole first scene or whatever. 
whatever. Like, that's sorry for you, Bob, but it's not as if he's going to then learn and then say to his friends, you know, well, my mother had this terrible experience, therefore I don't want to have that terrible experience. (laughs) So we want for him, that is how learning happens. And I don't want him to suffer and I don't want him to make mistakes. On the other hand, we all know we learn the most from our own mistakes, our own failings. And also he can improve his own system that works for him if he is able to exercise sort of all of these different steps. So it's, there are so many levels of um, value to not doing that. And if a parent is so compelled to do such a thing, there are also intermediate kind of iterations of this so that you don't have to go like, uh, I don't know, whole hog. You can also say, like the night before, like I'm just sort of thinking about tomorrow when you're going to the, I didn't know that this next game was going to give me so much material, but you know, <laughs> if I were to have said on Friday night or Saturday morning, like, uh, you know, is there anything that you need to have or what do you think that you're going to need to have something to even prepare him for the exercise of walking himself through it, which I also didn't have to do, but my son happens to be a much more organized person than me. So it's, ironic that I'm having this conversation, but, um, but I think that that also, so that there are also, uh, because I I was going to say that parents sometimes hear this as, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, let them, you know, totally flail, or I'm not going to throw them into the deep end without any kind of a life vest. And this is really just saying, like, there are other steps that you can take to help prepare them for these experiences. Yes, yes. Can we talk a little bit about the accessibility of parents and how you've seen that um, changing things in the past? I'll give you an example of this. So my son, who's in third grade, wanted a smartwatch. And my biggest fear with the smartwatch was all of a sudden I was going to be getting these random texts like, my bus is late, what should I do? Or there's no toilet paper in the bathroom at school. What should I do? Uh (laughs) And that he was going to be, rather than accessing other adults, that he was going to be constantly looking to me to solve problems and find the answers. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you've seen this coming up, this idea that parents are kind of filling in all of these all of these opportunities for problem solving that may arise throughout the day by constantly texting and being in touch with their parents. Yes, 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 yes. I have seen <laughs> it sort of uh, increase um, to such to such proportional levels. Once again, I'll share just a recent scenario that happened. I have a friend whose son is um, living back at home with them. He graduated from law school, has his first job as an attorney at a very prestigious uh, firm that he worked very hard to get the job at. And he, um, I'm going to apologize to this friend afterward if she listens to this, (laughs) but I saw her that day. She said that her son had, um, they had a cleaning service in their apartment. She was in the office. He was working from home. And the the cleaning service was vacuuming outside of his bedroom door. So he texted her to see if there was any way that she could notify the cleaning service not to (laughs) um, vacuum. Uh, This is such a first world kind of issue. But so that that this is somebody who figured out how to um, pass the bar exam, but didn't know how he would communicate like with this person to ask them not to vacuum outside of his door and wanted her from work to contact the person somehow or other to to take right. care of this issue. You know, once again, I my daughter had gone abroad for her junior, the second semester junior year, and I had done the same, had the good fortune of having done the same in college. And I remember I had to Back in the day, you know, I had to, I, it was, I spoke to my parents once a week and really had to wait. I mean, I was, I could speak to her a million times a day, you know, and if she was, and I, there is something, um, something gets lost in, in the independence of things um, when you can, when you have your parent that readily accessible. And it is even harder for a parent to then 
resist the urge not to, to solve mm-hmm. the problem. You're getting a call that quickly. You're in the middle of a podcast. What are you going to do? Like do some collaborative problem solving or just give them the answer and get off, you know? So it's also right. just more expedient to just give them the answer. So right. it's really um, concerns me actually, because I think that it does perpetuate this kind of like uh, hyper dependence and, um, and intensifies anxiety. I mean, the more dependent we feel and the more incapable we feel and um, the more incompetent we feel, the more anxious we're going to feel. Right. Yeah. And I think that there's this kind of spiraling effect that comes from this frequency of being in touch where then if, and I think it goes both ways, if the child or the parent are used to being able to, at a moment's notice, be in touch with the other one, when that person is out of touch, panic can set in, right? If the person doesn't respond for an hour, right? How that, on both ends of the spectrum, can really yes. go crazy. Absolutely. It, it kind of, it becomes habituated. So the more accustomed to it we become, the more anxious we become when there is any kind of um, like departure from that. And that's, yes. That's not, not feeling very healthy, right? That like fear around not being able to constantly be in touch with another person. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That on many psychological levels, because part of being able to mature and develop and evolve emotionally is also to be able to tolerate being separate and, and, being able to, we know from psychology, like hold on to the image of somebody or maintain sort of the experience of being with that person, even in their absence. So it's almost like, and we call that object constancy. And, um, and that, that capacity is something that, that we hope that children develop kind of in their, in their very like late toddler year, I mean, they begin to develop it, but we hope that they can even have it accessible to their, them internally by the time that we, you know, that they're in grade school. So it's Mm -hmm. really um, concerning when, when we see, you know, kids in their, they're in adolescence and late adolescence who are still unable to soothe themselves in the absence of uh, like sort of concrete, um, contact. Mm, Yeah. So, you know, coming off the pandemic, I find that, well, so entering into the pandemic, I had tiny kids. I had a new kind, my son was just mid kindergarten when it all happened. And my daughter was like three. Now my kids are in first and third grade. And I guess the idea of having achievement anxiety is starting to maybe present itself. Um, but for me, I found that I don't have any of that yet, at least, but I do have anxiety Mm. about my kids' mental health. I'm wondering if that is something Mm -hmm. that you've experienced that the worry about their mental health. I absolutely hear that parents are much more concerned and much more aware of, uh, the, the mental health crisis in, in our world. And so parents are also much more anxious about it and, while it is terribly unfortunate and concerning that so many kids are in distress, I am uh, slightly hopeful that maybe this will help parents kind of shift their focus a little bit to mental health as opposed to, and not kind of prioritizing achievement over mental health, that we see that emotions and one's psychological being are critical components of their functioning. And so we want to sort of keep that in our parenting formula and keep it as alive as possible. The other thing, just just as far as I'm glad that you're not having achievement anxiety, I think that even from the earliest years of parenting, though, there's sort of stress or concerns about is my child rolling over in time? Oh my God, what happens if they're not walking or they're not talking? Like, what will this mean for their development? How will they be able to get to school? I spoke to a parent the other day who was very concerned and really um, actively working on toilet training so that 
uh, her kid would qualify for preschool. So you can even you can while it isn't just you know academic performance, you can see these sort of mile these milestone achievements where anxiety is percolating for a parent. Okay, then I, I lied. I have had achievement anxiety. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm, and this is the it's most general kind right. of definition, well, but developmental uh, achievement anxiety, which I guess I yes. haven't yet kind of pivoted into this academic achievement where like I'm really worried about like grades and future yes. and that sort of thing. Maybe that is is still to come. It's hard to say, but I, I think I don't know. The mental health piece is important, but it's interesting to hear that perspective of how you feel like maybe we'll pivot a little bit to focusing more on mental health. And actually, I I highlighted a sentence in your book. You said, when we see poor performance, our reaction more often than not is to increase the pressure to succeed rather than to address the underlying emotional issues. I wrote that. Yeah, isn't that smart? (laughs) Yes. Oh, I like it. That was so great because you're right. I mean, that like thinking about how our gut is if our kids are not doing, they're not working up to their potential or they're not getting all A's, whatever it is, we're going to put put the pressure on to make them succeed more. Um, but really, that's not necessarily the answer. No. And you can also see how much emphasis we put on um, work ethic and being a hard worker and developing grit and motivation, like you could sort of see how achievement is also an understandable receptacle for anxiety, that it is something, you know, for which there are concrete markers, there are quantifiable metrics. Emotions are much harder to capture. We don't know necessarily what's going on inside of somebody or what someone is feeling. That feels very amorphous. However, Mm -hmm. if a kid is getting certain grades or um, or has a certain placement in their overall class, that gives us some kind of, or so we think or like to believe, it gives us something concrete to hang our hat on or to mm-hmm. um, measure our own success, measure our success and their <laughs> success, right? They're doing, they are right. where they're supposed to be. And we also most of us value achievement. All of us want our kids to be successful, however we should define it. And so it's understandable then that this would be a tempting place to go as an indicator of how someone is doing. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. not always an accurate reflection of yeah. that. Yeah. It makes me think about the relief that parents get when their kids are seniors in high school and they got into a good college, right? That like, ah, oh, Yes. The work here is done. Yes. But is it? No, it is not. And yes, it is. <laughs> and that it's such a, um, I was at a party over the weekend too. I'm glad I've had these experiences to just reflect on, but um, where a parent of a high school senior was telling a group of other parents, high achieving, loving, well-intended parents, that their daughter had been accepted early decision to a prestigious school that she had uh, long aspired to attend. And the whole group was saying congratulations to the mother. And I thought like, oh, this is, this, is, this is not. And as she was talking about it, she was even saying, we this, we that. And I was thinking, no, not we, she, like, this is not, yes, she is your daughter. I understand that you are proud of her, but this is like, these are these subtle distinctions that I think also um, intensify and complicate this entire phenomenon because the messaging, even though it seems like a, I don't know, cavalier statement or something, I think some of the latent messaging in that is, you know, um, my my success is contingent upon your college acceptance. Yeah, we're going to pause for a final two minute break from today's sponsors. KiwiCo knows a thing or two about delivering moments of discovery through fun, hands-on projects. Each month, they deliver super cool science, technology, and art projects for kids. Most recently, my kids enjoyed the marine biology box, and I enjoyed it too. KiwiCo creates opportunities to create something and to learn together, both adults and kids. Cultivate your child's natural creativity and curiosity. They'll explore new worlds and rediscover familiar ones, even without leaving home. I find that KiwiCo boxes are especially great for sick days, and I know most of us have had these recently. 
KiwiCo does the legwork for you so you can spend quality time tackling projects together. There's no commitment, pause or cancel anytime. So make 2023 a year of discovery with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month of any crate line at kiwico.com forward slash simple. That's 50% off your first month at kiwico.com slash simple. In the minute that I'm going to be talking to you about Indeed today, 16 hires were made on the website. When you sponsor a job ad on Indeed in the U.S., you're three times more likely to get a hire, according to Indeed data. Finding great talent doesn't have to be a second job. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. You don't have to spend hours on multiple job sites looking for the right candidates with the right skills. You can do it all with Indeed. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Indeed knows that when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job requirements. Visit indeed.com families to start hiring now. Just go to indeed.com families. Indeed.com families. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing is not available for everyone. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Thanks so much for supporting our sponsors. Back to my chat with Deanna. My son um, forgot to do his homework this weekend. He only has homework on the mm-hmm. weekends. And um, usually he's very responsible about remembering. But this this weekend, whatever for whatever reason, like the backpack didn't even open up. Like we never opened it. Folder never came out. And last night at bedtime, I'm like, oh, no. Like we didn't do any homework. And he kind of gasped mm. and realized it. But I kind of went through this. So uh, my initial reaction was, I'm going to email your teacher and tell her that you're going to do it tonight, Monday night instead. And then afterwards, I was like, wait, should I have emailed her? Should I have had him email her? Should I have had him tell her? And we're kind of Mm -hmm. at that age where he's perfectly capable of saying those words Mm -hmm. himself. And he did. He went to school and did it because I forgot to email her. But I emailed her like halfway Mm -hmm. through the day. And in my email, I said, we forgot Mm -hmm. to do the homework Mm -hmm. this weekend. Mm -hmm. Right. Which I thought was like just now Mm -hmm. reflecting on that. I Like I'm working towards shifting that. Like he forgot to do the homework, but maybe there is a we, like I was also, I'm still kind of responsible for the homework too. So that, that kind of fading Mm -hmm. of our own responsibility, that's tricky. Yes, it totally is. And it's not, you know, always, I don't want the message to be universally to say we, I mean, in some way, um, I guess the two of you, this is the third grader. Yeah. And so there is also sort of this like evolving system that the two of you are developing as well as sort of like, how does he begin to take agency Mm -hmm. for his work? But he is only nine um, is still very little to to start managing one's time and determining how much time is necessary or warranted for an assignment. So it is sort of a gradual kind of disentangling of the we, mm-hmm. but certainly your support is, I'm sure, quite helpful. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, thinking as a parent, the slow handoff, right? And I'm always, for whatever reason, I have this visual in my head of like being a bodybuilder parent, like holding this huge barbell full of weights. And then my uh-huh. child standing there with an empty bar and like, Every year I'm like taking one of my weights and putting it on their their barbell. Yes. And like slowly yes. passing the weight off to them. And that's kind huh. of this visual that sits with me. And huh. I, you know, and now that he's nine, like he can carry some weights. And like I if I don't ever give him any weights, how's he ever gonna get stronger? You know? So it's a wonderful visual. I love I love a good metaphor. <laughs> um and and that's actually and if you think about even like um, not only are you handing it over to him, and also you're standing by maybe even spotting him. Yeah. I think that this is ex- the the perfect visual even for how much responsibility parents always ask me. I don't know how much pressure to put on my kid, and I think that in some way we don't know until you have put you've put the weight on or he's requested that you do. And then you see the degree of tension. Too much tension mm-hmm. will actually cause an injury and too quickly, too little. It's too, you're not going to build any strength. That's what the trainers yeah. say. Anyway, that like, if just, unless you do a lot of reps. Right. And so 
this way. So there really is, we sort of, we always want that challenge to be just enough challenge mm-hmm. where you feel as if you can, but you need to give that little bit extra push challenge. Right, whatever. just outside of the comfort and, zone. Exa- thank you. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And yeah. so, but we need tension. We absolutely need tension in order to be able to strengthen but too much is going to then cause injury. Mm-hmm. And as we're getting older, we can't handle as much weight. So it's very good that we're starting to transfer the weight over. Yeah. You know? Well, and you think about the kids that are going off to college with their barbell almost empty because the parents have been doing all the heavy lifting for them. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we're just going to like dump it all on them. And mm-hmm. they don't, you know, they don't know where to begin. So it has to yes. be kind of the slow process. But and I also, for that visual, you know, and sometimes I'll give that visual to clients too. And the kids, I think, can see that, right? This idea that like, what do you mean I have to put my laundry away? Why do I have to put my laundry away? Nobody mm-hmm. else puts their laundry away or whatever mm-hmm. it is, chores or um, taking responsibility for things that I think kids can have a hard time seeing the value in that too. That like, I'll do that when I'm older, when I move out to my Mm -hmm. own house, like I'll Mm -hmm. put, I'll wash the dishes and put things away. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been thinking a lot about chores lately. I just interviewed Julie Lithcott Hames and Mm -hmm. um, in her book, How to Be an Adult, she talks about the importance of the grind of chores. Uh And that's not something I had ever thought about before. And it's something I've been thinking a lot about. And um, now my kids are putting their laundry away every single day Uh because I wash laundry every day and I have baskets with their names on it and they have to put the laundry away before they can have their TV time after school. Ah. Um, But it's usually only like two or three things. But it's Uh funny to see them react in the sense that like, oh my gosh, I just put the laundry away. Where did this come from? (laughs) Like, it's like Uh, this idea that it just magically reappears. And there's always, no matter what you do, there's always laundry there. And there will always be laundry there. And that grind of the every day you do the thing. And I do think we need to start showing our kids a little bit of that grind. Definitely. And I think also what we can't underestimate in that is also that feeling of confidence and mastery. It also feels really good to feel like, I can do this. I don't need my mom to do it. Even though Mm -hmm. I guess on the surface, it seems like, oh, who wants to put away laundry? On the other hand, it does feel good to have your room, you know, cleaned up or to see the the laundry basket empty and feel like, ah, when I started, there were four things in there. Now it's done and I've put it, I've taken it out of my room. And I think sometimes it's useful to even invite kids to do a little bit of reflection on how that feels, not in a, you see, is it, wasn't I right? Like, doesn't it seem much better to have an empty um, laundry basket, but more just kind of how does that, I don't know, how does that feel to you? Or what do you think? Or I'm hesitant to say this because just the other day, my son had gotten his report card and he was really he just seemed really happy about it. And we don't emphasize grades a lot in our home, but I did say to him like, oh, you know, you you seem really proud of yourself. And he was like, mom, he said like, I don't think of it that way. And so he said, nobody thinks that way. Like, oh, I'm so proud of myself. And so I said, yeah, but now that I'm saying it, because God forbid I let it go, you know? So I was like, well, now that I'm saying it though, like, because you seem like you do feel pretty proud of yourself. Like, do you? And he was just like, I don't think about whether I'm proud of myself. So now, whatever, my when my book arrived the other day, he kept saying, mom, are you proud of yourself? And I was like, yes, as a matter of fact, I am. And maybe I'm the only person in the world who thinks this way. So now I'm right. just kind of, um, because I wanted for him to have the experience of just like, what is that feeling of accomplishment, like just put a pin in that, that feeling of Mm -hmm. like, liking the way I did something. So, but he really rejected my, um, like corny therapist talk, which is not the first time. (laughs) Of course, right? (laughs) right? Rolling their eyes at me. Yeah. In your book, you talk about parent anxiety reaction types. I thought this was really fascinating. Uh Um, Tell us a little bit about how you developed those and what those are. So the parent anxiety reaction types or parts, or what I call them, are eight different archetypes. And they're kind of a compilation of different cases that I've worked with over the years and ways that parent anxiety, parent achievement anxiety specifically, has manifested or shown up. 
And my purpose for developing them was very much, I was very intent on trying not to pathologize anxiety because it is not always pathological, as I said, and also normalizing it. Also, I wanted to invite, encourage parents to really reflect. And a lot of times when we see ourselves in somebody else, it invites for that kind of self-reflection. So this was my effort to encourage that kind of self-reflection and to see the different ways that anxiety might be manifesting, even when there are situations when we don't necessarily, we wouldn't say that we are anxious, but anxiety is at the root or is underlying some of the behaviors that we're engaging in. As a result of that, I was sort of, I was seeing kind of consistent patterns or ways that the anxiety, the achievement anxiety specifically was manifesting in parents. So I devised eight different types, which are modeled I realized uh, retrospectively, they align in many ways with our defense mechanisms. We know a lot about defense mechanisms, and there are different kinds of defenses. And defenses, the purpose of defense mechanisms, even though they too get a bad rap, is really to help us manage the intensity of our feelings. So the eight different parts are, there are clairvoyance, shepherds, uh, Sculptor, replicator, corrector, avoider, and game show contestants, and crowd pleasers. I'm impressed. I think that that's all off the top of your head. Yeah, you think that you think I spent eight years writing this book? You would think I should say them <laughs> like that, but um, and each type has. I tried to kind of um, clarify that there are certain triggers, certain things that kind of are apt to trigger. Um, this particular kind of anxiety. And then I also modeled or identified different ways that the anxiety can both be helpful, so I call them perks of that type, or um, pitfalls, the ways that actually they could inhibit or um, derail us from what our intentions actually are. So, um, So each type has its particular characteristics and then has perks, pitfalls, triggers. And um, and then I sort of give tips for um, each particular type. And there's also, um, I devised afterward, once I was getting really positive response to this, um, nothing like a positive response to then prompt more of something. But so I devised a quiz, which actually also parents have really enjoyed taking that kind of help parents identify even more specifically what their type is. We can identify with all the different types. There are parts of all of us in all of the parts, but usually there is a dominant or predominant part. Yeah. What's the website for that? The website is, it's on my website, which is drdanadorfman.com. Great. So I um, was reading over the different types, and the first one in the book listed is the sculptor. Um, Through academics, extracurricular activities, and even therapy, they work to shape their child into a perfectly well-rounded product. And that resonated with me because I think that's what I would do if I hadn't done a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Like if I hadn't been noticing my own tendencies, I think I would be a sculptor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny, I read through all of these and they were all like, no, like this is definitely not the right way to go. Like this isn't sh- how you should do it. And then I got to um, Clairvoyant, mm-hmm. and which is where you identify your child's gifts and talents and believe that that will lead them to future success. Um, and you make decisions that put them on the accelerated course to master their talents. And I got to that one, I'm like, that's the one mm. I am now. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and, but it also made me that I'm like, well, but the other people who identify with these other things think there's nothing wrong with that. That like the replicators, like it worked for me, it'll work for you. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that kind of deep identification with one, we're feeling like, because that idea that like it worked for me, it won't work for you. Like to me in my mind, no, everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Like you're not born a blank slate. Mm -hmm. Of course that's not Mm -hmm. correct. But it's just funny how mine is right and all of the other ones are wrong. Yes. Well, of course. (laughs) (laughs) That's problematic at its core. (laughs) I think that that is also, it's such a natural place to go. I think that 
all of these are healthy kind of in the, the way that we have established how to manage our own anxiety through our lives up until parenthood, they're deeply embedded in us and have worked for us. A lot of times that's why we use them, like being hyper prepared, you know, ahead of time and thinking things through, which is not my type, but I'm thinking of my husband who we get to the airport three hours minimum uh, ahead of time. He, I think would say like, well, that's the way I like to do things. Maybe he might even say like, that's the right way to do it. And for me, that's more anxiety producing. I end up doing it because I I do, but, um, but my style would actually be for some reason, I don't like to, I hate waiting. And so I would prefer to waste time at home. And even if I have to be, you know, like um, on the fast track, running into the airport. That's the preferable style for me. My point, though, is that this is this has worked for him. That is why he how he has mm-hmm. established this way of operating. And I guess mine has worked for me, too. Although it seems less obvious mm-hmm. about it. Until you miss a plane and then maybe it's not. Even then, I have missed a plane or two. And I still I think it's a time management executive functioning thing. But um, <laughs> that's for another episode. But um, so none of these are wrong at all. It is Mm -hmm. just when they are in excess. And it is also supporting like however we use our defenses in the same way that like denial is is not very good if you're drinking a six pack a day and think that everything is okay. However, if you are not focusing on, oh my God, like I could get hit by a car today, like you need a little bit of denial to get through the day or that mm-hmm. this is going to be okay. So, uh, so the defenses can be, you know, also in, in proportion are always helpful and highly individual. So none of these are wrong in any yeah. way. Yeah, no, that's good to, good to remember that you know, there, these are just a variety of different types of anxious thinking patterns that we can see ourselves in and notice our own tendencies rather than one being right or wrong necessarily. Yes. All right, Dana, thank you. It's been so good talking with you today. Thank you. Thank you. This was such a pleasure to speak to you. And I so appreciate hearing your own experiences as well. So thank Absolutely. you. And I'll put the link to your book and your website in the show notes. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. This has been episode 341. If you want to get in touch with Dana, get the links to her book or any of the things that we talked about, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 341. As always, thanks for tuning in. Please take a minute to leave a rating or review for this show. I appreciate your support. Have a good one.